0: Welcome to season two of the Alliance Theater podcast, an exploration of theater and the people who make it happen. Listen in on an energizing conversation between Pearl Clegg and Maya Lawrence, two of Atlanta's most inspired and inspiring artists as they explore the role of art and activism. Enjoy. Hello, hello everyone. I am Maya Lawrence, artist in residence at the Alliance Theater here with Pearl Clegg, Melon playwright in residence. And Pearl, I'm just so happy <laughs> to be talking I'm so
1: glad so to see you. I mean, this pandemic keeps us all from hugging each other. But I, I'm so happy to see your smiling face.
0: I, usually people ask, you know, how are you? And I don't like that question, because especially right now, how do you answer honestly? So I'm curious, what is taking up the most space in your brain
1: these days? Voting. I want everybody to vote. We have to behave in a way that is what citizens do. We have to vote. So that's taking up the, the most in space for me, just mm-hmm. trying to make sure that everybody I know is registered, everybody I know knows you can vote early, you can mm-hmm. vote by mail, all those things that they're trying to tell us we can't do, that you can do because it's so important A thing I think that a lot of artists are trying to figure out, we're all thinking about what's going on in the real world, which sometimes is is in conflict with what we wish we could be imagining at this moment, Mm -hmm. thinking about a new world or just making up stories. But I think at this moment, I'm I'm really um, concerned about what's going to happen if all of us don't um, get out and vote and embrace our citizenship in a tangible way
0: when you were doing the poem for the groundbreaking when it was going from the alliance stage to the coca-cola i remember what has always stuck out to me was you using tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but and it feels so relevant especially now and i find myself repeating it as a mantra at times and like not in the context of the justice system, but in the context of your poem. And so I'm curious at what gives you or what summons that courage for you to be so honest?
1: Well, I think the thing is that it takes um, a lot of time and energy to lie. Mm. You have to think up the lie in the first place. You have to figure out who has the power so that you can you know, kind of bow down to them and tell them the lie they want to hear. Because we never lie in a vacuum. You know, we always lie because we want something. And we're hoping that if we can tell the lie um, with enough authenticity, whoever we're trying to convince um, will say, you know, that's true. But most of the time when we lie, what we're doing is saying back to someone that we don't believe, that we don't trust, saying back to them what they believe. And it's, it's uh, exhausting to try mm-hmm. to remember what lie you told to what person. Um, and it's, it's debilitating to your spirit. Because lying is at heart an an, um, admission of your own powerlessness. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a strong, free person, who can make you lie? Nobody. Because that's always the weasel route when you're trying to kind of get in some place where you hope you can pretend to be somebody else. And I just find that exhausting so that I I had gotten really good um, in a certain period of my life um, at lying. You know, at figuring out what people wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. And I could tell it to them. I mean, I'm a writer, so I can make a moment and just be in that moment and tell people what they wanted to hear. And it just made me feel weak and sad and crazy. Um, And so there has to be a moment, you know, which is the moment that I had, which is like, okay, I'm not gonna lie about anything. Mm. Little things, big things. Because what you end up doing is saying, "This is just a little lie. I can lie about this, but I don't lie about big things." It's like, no, any lie is a lie, is a lie. So that it's it often, I think, comes across as being brave to tell the truth, but it's really sane because mm. the only way to be in the moment that we're really in is to look at it and tell the truth about it. The real. Um, challenge for all of us always um, is to figure out what the truth is and then if you're an artist to figure out a way to tell it in a way that can let other people hear it you know Mm. not preaching at them but inviting them in to whatever this this truth is that you want to share
0: Mm. Mm. inviting them to the truth and I feel like that truth is what we're craving right now I think in 2020 you know it's hindsight it's vision it's clarity and that is what most of our goals were stepping into the year mm-hmm. um, and then truth hit us now everything has changed and i think i've really been thinking about this hindsight is 2020 and how it's especially now we're in the fall it's very reflective very introspective mm-hmm. what is it that is when we talk about this racial reckoning and that being a truth that we're being met with and the truth of the pandemic um and trying not to talk ourselves out of that (laughs) despite what especially in atlanta and the truths that you've lived through throughout your career and throughout your life in various social justice movements and the civil rights movement what feels different about now than before
1: Well, I think that one of the things that the pandemic has done, because, you know, when we shut down and I was was counting up the other day and I kind of self-quarantined at like the end of February because I'm in all the high risk groups. I mean, I'm an older, older person. I have pre-existing conditions, you know, all of those things. And I'm African-American. So it's like, okay, I can self-quarantine, I can stay out of crowds, I can protect myself by wearing a mask, but it's a a long period of time that you realize is being controlled by something that is not you. And I think that what it does is make us have to leave all of our individual um, ideas, thoughts, ambitions, and say, I have to be a part of community because this virus makes me part of a community. The virus does not care that I had seven productions scheduled for my new play and it was gonna be fabulous and the year was gonna be so great and you know all of that. It's like the pandemic doesn't care about that. I care about that. But what you have to do, I think at this moment is to say, that's my individual life, my Mm -hmm. selfishness Mm -hmm. um, in a certain sense to continue to cling to that. Because over 200,000 people have died. So whether or not we got to have those opening nights, whether or not we got to have the book tour that we wanted, whether or not we got to act in all those wonderful main stage shows that we wanted. Um, Those are all small concerns when we realize that at this moment, we are anonymous to the virus. The virus does not care. You know, when they do these things on um, the news about these are some people that died this week and they show you these wonderful people who were doing great work, whose families loved them, all of that, the virus does not care about that. In the same way that bigotry and racism does not care, that you were just coming home from the drugstore and you wear a mask because you're um, trying to deal with the pandemic or trying to deal with your own health and you are stopped by the police and beaten to death and smothered and put um, uh, somebody's knee on your neck for eight minutes or, or shot eight times in your own house. That wasn't because those individual people did anything. That's because bigotry is exactly like the pandemic. It's a big thing that does not care about you as an individual. So that I think that what this period does is really make us understand, again, how important it is to be part of a community, Mm -hmm. to uh, be concerned about what happens to other people, and not to say, I think I'll be safe. I don't live in a neighborhood where the police bother me. I don't live in a neighborhood where people are gonna uh, not wear a mask, because it's all of us. You know, when I look at at the people are acting as if none of these uh, brutal killings by police matter to them. I just don't know how to start that conversation because when I look at those people, those murdered people, I think to myself, that's my daughter, that's my grandson, that's my dad, that's my cousin, that's my wild uncle. That's all of the people that I know and love, black people who weren't doing a single thing except moving around through their lives. Same thing with the pandemic. I know wonderful, lovely, valuable humans who mm-hmm. have died mm-hmm. from a disease that we didn't have to be overrun by. So I think that the connection to each other, which is something in theater that we're always trying to do to say, you know, come together as community, sit together, and we're going to tell you a story that's going to make you feel more connected to other people. I think there's never been a time when we needed that more. and for. For theater artists, I think the thing that is, is uh, distressing to me is to see people throw up their hands and say, oh, well, Broadway's closed, and oh, the big theaters aren't working, and oh, I don't know what to do, and I can't do my work. And it's like, no, 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 this is the moment when you must do your work. You know, this is the moment when you have to say, "Okay, I love the Coca-Cola stage. So beautiful. I love that wood and the way it looks like water. And it's just I love to sit in there. I love that our balcony of, of relic of segregation is gone. I love our new space. But we can't work in there right now. So now I'm thinking, okay, where can I work? We've got yep. a great courtyard out there where we can socially distance people, it's outside, it's got all kinds of nice things you can work with as a playwright. So I'm trying to work on a piece that is meant to go outside in that courtyard, mm-hmm. not something that we're trying to drag out there because we can't mm-hmm. do it inside, but something that comes from me as an artist, as, an, as a writer, as a playwright, where I imagine the piece from the beginning in that space, because I can't wait to talk to people until all the theaters can safely reopen. I'm sorry, that's my job. I gotta talk to people. And it's like, if we got a pandemic, I'm gonna figure out a way to talk to them through that mask. You know, people said, oh, you can't see people's faces. And I keep saying to people, look at their eyes. You can tell whether or not somebody's smiling at you when you see their eyes. You can communicate so much in ways that we haven't had to. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not a, a moment, it's not a lesson I would have chosen. I wouldn't have said, I think we really need a pandemic to help us get better. I think we need a wrath of police brutality to help us get better. I wouldn't have chosen it, but we have it. We're in it. And we have to use these moments to get stronger, to get more connected to each other as other human beings, and to do our work, to stop moaning, to stop hollering, and do the work. You know, when you see people who start talking about that defeatist kind of mindset. Our job as artists, I think, is to say, no, no, let's sing something. You know, let's dance. Let's let's find Lori Stallings and roll around on the grass outside of the museum. You know, let's let's find Maya and do a show. Let's write a book for kids. Let's let's do something that keeps us connected as human beings because otherwise we're dead. We're doomed. Then we're just locked ourselves in our houses and we're scared to come out. And I'm not doing it. You know, if I could make it through all of the legalized segregation, all of the Vietnam War, all of the, you know, friends I had who died from illegal abortions, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And we never stop. Mm. And this can't be the moment where we say, okay, okay, bad people. Okay, bigoted people. Now it's on you. It's like, no, it's always got to be, come on, all the good people come out of your house, sing together, vote together, Move us forward. I didn't mean to start preaching. You know, my no. daughter so sometimes it's like, you know, these days I just feel like I want to go on my porch and say, People, yeah. come on, you can do
0: it. <laughs> yeah. And like when you talked about it, it, it makes me think about the concept of Sankofa, of like going back and getting it. And you talked about voting being this like tangible tool that we have to make what we're imagining a reality. And I'm wondering, you know, you talk about all of the moments in life that you've lived through, the friends that you've had have passed on from. What are lessons from those past moments that we should be incorporating into this moment now or that you already see that we are and it's like brought a new life to it?
1: I think um, I'm I'm very energized by and and really appreciate and love the people who are demonstrating the young people who are out in the street demonstrating and the older people who are out in the street demonstrating. You know, some of us our knees are not so good anymore, so we can't be marching around. But it's it's that is so wonderful to me to see people pour into the street and say no, you know, this is not what we want. And at first, when I. First started watching the Black Lives Matter demonstrations. Mm-hmm. Um, and here in Atlanta, I remember this so well, that people would gather, and then they would kind of walk around. They would go kind of by the state capitol, they would go by the governor's mansion. But what I'm used to is you march somewhere, you stop in front of that place and you make a speech and you know rally people to do something. And that wasn't, wasn't this, because this was not so much an organized protest as an outcry from people. Mm-hmm to say, we don't really have a plan yet, but we know this ain't it. So we're gonna walk until we find something. I think watching um, these demonstrations, watching people pour into the street has made me feel very hopeful Mm. because if they're out there talking to each other, protesting something, they'll find a program. They'll find a way to make this right. They'll find a way. And if they have to walk around until they do it, I say more power to them. Walk on and figure out what it is, but don't go inside. Don't stop talking and don't stop being present. It makes a difference when you have a verdict that says, we don't, we don't think we need to charge anybody for shooting a black woman to death in her bed, in her apartment. We don't think that was such a bad thing. I don't know who did it, but it's just too bad. You're supposed to go in the street. You're supposed to go holler. You're supposed to say, wait a minute. That's not somebody off out there with a bad boyfriend. He wasn't a bad boyfriend. Somebody burst in their house at three in the morning. If somebody burst at my house at three in the morning, you know, who knows what they would meet because my husband would be trying to defend the house that we live in because mm-hmm. I would be trying to defend the house that we live in so mm-hmm. that the pr- protesters' willingness to come out and say no is very heartening to me. And I think part of a tradition of activism um, that we have to understand is changing, but also is gonna take us into the next phase The fact that all kinds of people are marching, black people, white people, Latinos, Asians, Asians, everybody, these are American demonstrations and it's less race separate than they used to be, which is wonderful. I think the majority of American people are so far past the bigotry um, that we hear coming from the president that it's, it's a disconnect because he's afraid of it. Some of his bigoted followers are afraid of it but the future is going to be the future. You can holler all you want, but you cannot hold back the the waters of history, the rising tide of history. It's going where it's going. So you have to be a part of it. You have to be in the flow of it, and you have to try to make sure that whatever you can do, you can do that, even if it's just one little thing, Mm -hmm. even if it's just you vote yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to make 100 people vote. It'd be great if you could, but if you just do yours, you know, take one person with you, you know, take a young person with you, take an old person with you, take somebody you love with you, take somebody you don't love with you, but make sure that everybody is engaged and it will make all of us feel stronger and we will see the evidence of that strength.
0: You talk about moving into the future and what activism becomes in the future. Um, my mom, She always tells me to give people their flowers while they can still smell them. And, you know, when it comes to women, like you were talking about Brianna Taylor, and it comes especially to Black women, we aren't given our flowers while we're alive or, you know, when we have passed. And so I think about, you know, the Say Her Name movement and all of the voices and people that aren't seen when these movements are happening or just on the day-to-day life of existing um and existing within our communities um it's what breaks makes me the happiest when i hear about this mural that's happening in the west end um oh, it's wonderful and so what's <laughs> have the- you seen I- it oh, i haven't
1: seen it yet. oh my god it's it, it wasn't quite done i went last week my husband and i drove up there last week and it wasn't quite done they had a scaffolding up and they were painting my base on this mural but it's so wonderful it's it's just wonderful you're you are gonna love it so much it's just i'm i'm so honored to be on it because it's just like oh my god this is this is our neighborhood this is our community and they painted all of these black women and we're so much bigger than life you know it's like oh my god look at us but that's i think a a real wonderful honor for people to see you that way Mm -hmm. and to feel like okay you need to be bigger than life. You need to have a voice that's amplified because you have helped this community in some way. That means everything.
0: So this season upcoming, we have two shows specifically around activism and we have sit in and hands up. And in October, we're going to have a couple of events focused on this concept of artivism and using arts as a means of activism. Um, so what can you tell us about Sit-In that we should know?
1: Um, Sit-In started off as a play like any other play, that it was going to be performed in front of a live audience with live actors. In the pandemic came <laughs> and all of that had to change because it is a play for young people. The young audiences, um, and we're used to having big buses come and drop off audiences um, for us, and then we do the play for them, and then the buses come and take them back to their school. None of that can happen. So, for a while, we were thinking, okay, maybe we can do this um, with um, live actors, but we'll just stream it, we'll do it virtually. So, that was a thought for a while, mm-hmm. and then um, Chris Moses, who was a wonderful visionary person. Um, started thinking about and talking about what if we could animate this? What if we could do this as an animated project, which of course scared me to death because I've never tried to write anything for, for animated anybody. And Mark Valdez, who was our wonderful director, has never worked with animation before. So, you know, Chris is, what Chris always is, optimistic, determined, all that. And Mark and I were like, oh, we don't know about this. But having worked, In Zoom World for the first time um, with the collision project, I understand that we are gonna have to understand how to use this new technology. So that Sit In is a is now gonna be a fully animated piece um, that follows three little girls who are all singers. They have a group together um, and they sing together, but one of them has become a climate activist and she wants to participate um, in a demonstration of every Friday she sits out in front of the school. Um, And that conflicts with the talent show that they knew they were gonna win because they're so good. So they have to come to terms with the same thing we were talking about before, their individual ambition and the fact that the world is on fire you know, Mm -hmm. that things are burning and that the oceans are rising and all of that. So that they as young girls, they're 11 years old, these characters, they have to talk about that. They have to think about that. They have to stand up to the principal of their school, Dr. Wilson, who is not about this at all. They have to talk to their parents who may not think this is um, the issue that they need to be following. The um, the little African-American girl's mother says, this is not your issue, climate change. You need to be dealing with police brutality. You need to be dealing with other issues. And the the little girl who was 11 years old is like, no, this is is something our earth needs us. We have to do it. So that it was a a pleasure to me to try to connect um, what she was trying to do to what my generation was doing, and I was able to do that through the character of her grandfather, who, although she did not know it, was a uh, an early member of the civil rights movement, and actually got arrested um, for being part of the Atlanta uh, student movement, which was kind of like SNCC. Um, And he had to spend four days at the Atlanta prison Farm. And he talks to her about that, about um, how angry his father was that he, um, you know, got put in jail and all of those things and says to her, this is a family tradition. Mm. Of course, it's hard. You know, Mm. everybody who's trying to make a change knows it's hard, but you can do it. And it's a a way for her to connect um, to her grandfather's generation and for him to understand that they are also moving it forward. Um, so that they, they do end up, everybody kind of comes together at the end because I, I like a happy ending when you're, <laughs> when you're trying to teach kids, you can do this. You know, I don't want to say to them, you can do this and then have a tragic ending, you know, when they're just destroyed by this. It's, uh, it's a moment of saying, of course it's hard, and of course you're going to have to try to bring your friends along. But I hope that we'll be able to um, use the animation to make sure that it still gets to. Um, the students that we hoped would be able to see it because the the play is developed um, in conjunction with a wonderful exhibition uh scheduled that's right now up at the high museum and of course you have to make an appointment to go and see it because of the um, pandemic but it's also going to be streamed virtually so that the exhibition and sit-in which talks about that movement because these um paintings in the exhibition are from children's books talking about the civil rights movement. It allows us in a certain way to know that we can reach a much bigger audience because we can get to those schools that aren't in Atlanta who can't Mm -hmm. come on the bus to the Alliance Theater so that we can everywhere this exhibition goes this sit-in animated play can go with it so that that has turned out to be a blessing in disguise that we can expand the reach of telling these stories um, that we really want to tell so that I think one of the things that I'm proudest of is is the Alliance Theater's Education Department Mm -hmm. because it's a a visionary place that that we're always engaged in trying to figure out how best to communicate with young people and you Mm -hmm. know this from working you know with the camps with the classes with the young people to say okay how do you talk to a four-year-old about the civil rights movement? How do you talk to an eight-year-old about the civil rights movement? You know, you have to talk about the violence, you have to talk about lynching, but how do you do that when somebody's four years old without scaring them to death? You know, how do you how do you make this story age appropriate? appropriate. And it's it's challenging, but I think it's really necessary. And I'm, I'm very proud of, of what's going on with Sydney I haven't, we haven't finished it yet. Um, but every every drawing that I see, I'm like, oh my God, there she is. That's that, that's that little girl. There she is.
0: My last question, as we're talking about the future and creating the future, um, you know, you've inspired me so much on my artist journey and activist journey. And now, you know, specifically in my writing journey, as I'm working on my children's book for next summer, um, what is, and this is totally on the spot, so if you don't have something, that's okay. But what is a prompt or a challenge that you want to leave with our listeners um, on their own writing journeys and creating journeys and activist journeys?
1: I think it's right back to where we started. I think that, that every writer's mantra should be, no matter what age group you're writing for, find the truth and tell it.
0: For more information on the Alliance Theatre podcast, visit alliancetheaterorg podcast. And never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining us.